This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man will be staying in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for now. Sony Pictures Entertainment and Walt Disney Studios have reached a deal for another Spider-Man film. The two sides haven't closed the door on the web slinger appearing in future Avengers films as well. Kevin Feige will again produce the new film, which will be part of the current series with Tom Holland playing Peter Parker. The new untitled film is scheduled for release. July 16th of 2021. In the meantime, this news obviously coming out just in time for that DVD release of the most recent film, Spider-Man Far From Home. To discuss the new deal, we are joined on the phone right now by Greg Steyer, who's assistant professor of English and film studies at Dickinson College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. He's also co-author of the upcoming book, Hollywood and the American Comic Book Industry, which is due out next year. Greg, great to talk to you again. Nice talking with you. Give us your sense of, of of how you think this deal really came into being, because we were talking about this, what, a month, two months ago, and it didn't seem like there was going to be a deal. Yeah, it, um, I think good news for Sony and Disney slash Marvel here. Um, part of the issue was Marvel um, was surprised at kind of the blowback they received by from fans with Tom Holland sort of leaving their universe. He's the actor that plays Spider-Man and kind of the disappearance of Spider-Man as a core character from the cinematic universe. But I think Marvel also perhaps realized that moving forward, they're going into some unprecedented territory with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is changing in some significant ways. And Spider-Man was kind of a... Um, uh, reliable property for them and something that connected him with the past part of the cinematic universe. So I think it was very important for Marvel to find a way to make this deal work. Right, because Tom Holland is uh, is realistically what the third Spider-Man in this latest run uh, of, of actors uh, playing this character, correct? That's right. It started with Tobey Maguire with the first um, Spider-Man films in the early 2000s. And then Sony tried it on their own with Andrew Garfield. Both of those are great actors. and But um, Tom Holland seems to have really captured how fans now envision this character and what they how they want to see it. So was this strictly a business decision for Sony? I would think with the relationship they uh, currently had uh, prior to this new deal, uh, they were sharing responsibility for the production. They were both making money off off of it, but maybe Sony just wanted to make sure that they had the right deal for them. Yeah, it is surprising. I thought that Sony was in a, the position of strength here. Um, they own the rights to the character, um, so Marvel had to make a deal with them if they wanted to use it. Marvel had woven the Spider-Man character into their film universe, so had become kind of dependent upon him. And though Sony had kind of misfired a little with the last its own Spider-Man films, they had a pretty good success with their animated film Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which came out in 2018, won some pretty big awards, didn't make a gigantic amount of money, partly because it was an animated film, but showed that they could do this character correctly. Mm -hmm. um, and had they not made the deal with um, Disney and Marvel, they still would have had Tom Holland as Spider-Man. So been able to kind of bank on the goodwill he'd already developed through Marvel with fans. We're also now joined by David Betancourt of the Washington Post, reporter there who covers comic book culture in its Comic Riffs blog. David, great to catch up with you again. 
Hey, good to be here. So give us your sense of, of this new deal and how you think it, it came to be and, and how it may play out moving forward. Uh, well, first and foremost, I think what happened was we saw a negotiation through the media and through fans, you know, with the with social media being here now, you can really kind of get a pulse very quickly of what your fan base is feeling and thinking. And, you know, the, the deal was up. It was time to renegotiate. And, you know, I think Sony, well, Marvel Studios wanted a little more of the pie. And I think they were correct and right in wanting to do so. The Spider-Man movie brand was kind of dead on arrival after the Andrew Garfield reboots. Uh, what, when the Spider-Man movies first happened, 2002, the Sam Raimi film. There was no Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it was this big, huge event, but there was no other Marvel giant to compare it to. Once you get the Avengers in 2012 and the connected universe and all these Marvel heroes together, all of a sudden you're making Spider-Man movies. It's like, well, why isn't the biggest Marvel character of all time hanging out with the Avengers? So you kind of had a, a brand differential of sorts. So I think what both sides wanted to do they both knew they were going to come up with a deal. There was just too much money to be made on both sides. But Marvel Studios, rightfully so, wanting a little bit more of the credit. Um, Spider-Man, the movie brand, is back to being a big thing because he's hanging out with the Avengers now, because he is an Avenger, because they were able to come up with a deal to share the character. And that to, to do that and then just say, oh, we're going to take that away, uh, well, Sony was bold to, to give it a try and see what happens. But at the end of the day, this was the, the correct move for the sake of, the, of both brands. And it obviously is important for Marvel and probably has been, David, the way they incorporated Spider-Man into these films, making him an Avenger, almost it, it makes him uh, a linked part of, of all of these films now and into the future, which still has quite a bit of run to it, even though the, the, the Avengers is going to be changing a little bit with some of the characters uh, you know, changing their dynamics a little bit. It is, you know, I, from from what I've seen, you know, this deal, there's, they're gonna they're gonna have this trilogy. So it's called the Homecoming trilogy. You had Spider-Man: Homecoming, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Uh, the next movie that's coming up, we don't know the title yet, but that'll likely be the last one. And then you'll have at least one more Spider-Man appearance where he appears either in another Marvel Studios superheroes movie or most likely the next Avengers movie, whatever the new iteration of that team is. Greg, your thoughts? Yeah, I think that the point you made about having woven Spider-Man into the universe is key. And I think that that I saw, I see Marvel right now, they're kind of in a position of, the, it's uncertainty. Can they continue the upward trajectory that they've been on? I mean, it's going to be hard to top Endgame in terms of the amount of money that film made. Mm-hmm. But also a lot of things are changing and there's some risks. Um, key actors and have retired and key characters have, have left the Marvel Universe and they're looking to replace them, and some of their choices are a little risky. The Eternals is, I mean, people talk about Guardians of the Galaxy having been an unknown property, but the Eternals is even more obscure. And they're also moving to a kind of new storytelling strategy where Disney Plus television shows will be tied into the cinematic universe, and they'll be moving towards prequels like A Black Widow. And I think, lastly, the big risk is that if Kevin Feige is really important to making these films work, He's, it looks like he may start to be stretched a little thin. Um, recently, it's been announced that he'll be kind of co, co-running, co-producing the new Star Wars saga after this current, um, after this next film. And he's also overseeing those Disney Plus 
television shows um, on their streaming service. So there's only so much really one person can oversee and do. So I think there's some risk going forward, and Spider-Man was a way of hedging that risk since he's kind of dependable. Greg, I find the, the, the business side of this really interesting from the perspective of when you think about the brand, the Avengers, and, and obviously Spider-Man as well, this would seem to be a very rare instance where we have a brand in the film industry that has so much success that you have two companies that are linked to it. Yeah, it does. I mean, it does demonstrate that there also is the possibility for competitors to work together and sh- kind of share a brand um, although really Sony only has these film rights, and part of the key, the key aspect of their deal all along, um, at least since 2011, has been that Marvel has all of the merchandising rights, which are worth quite a lot of money, especially when the films are successful. <laughs> so in that sense, the, Marvel has the comics, they have the cartoons, they have the uh, part of the film rights, and they have the merchandise rights. So Sony is really just kind of clinging on to this great deal that they made in 1999 to get these film rights. David, I wonder if it would also have been tough for Sony to take on the Spider-Man franchise themselves. Again, with, with when you think about how the character developed in the last uh, Far From Home film, and, and it's almost like they've made spider-man into iron man to a degree with some of the ways that that they portray the character it would have been very difficult to try and continue after the narrative they built with spider-man kind of being the young heir apparent to tony stark in terms of being a superhero in terms of being super intelligent in terms of being the next great avenger to lead all the marvel heroes it would have been really hard to ignore all of that that had been built up and say, okay, we're just going to go in a totally different direction because we no longer have an agreement uh, with Marvel Studios. Again, the success of the Spider-Man films in the Raimi era is in part because there is no Marvel Studios. Marvel Studios is around now. Sony, I think, you know, the animated Spider-Man film, Into the Spider-Verse, won an Academy Award. Rightfully so, it was great. Venom, another Sony movie, which is based off of one of Spider-Man's biggest villains, made about $800 million, but most of that was overseas. So I think there was kind of this false sense of confidence from Sony saying, hey, we just won an Oscar. Venom flirted with a billion dollars, even though most of that was not made here in the U.S. Uh, Really, the success of Spider-Man, at least until you get to the next one and it's Tom Holland decides, okay, after two more films, I'm going to hang it up mm-hmm. for right now is very much tied uh, to the Marvel studios universe. What is it, Greg, and you have your book coming out next year, but what is it about Hollywood and the comic book heroes that, that is just a right fit right now? Well, I think, I mean, that's a good question and it's interesting to see how long this fit will last, but the idea that we have these, kind of broader intellectual properties that can be um, monetized in multiple forms, whether that be toys, films, linked television shows. So I think um, Disney's upcoming streaming service is a really good example because they're really banking upon the success of these characters, these Marvel superhero characters, to get fans of the comics into the streaming service, to get fans of the films into the streaming service, and then in the process, hopefully sell a lot of toys and T-shirts and advertising as well. The only um, kind of industry that's been sort of losing out a little in all of this is the comic industry itself. And Marvel Comics in particular has kind of taken a back seat 
in this kind of move to develop Marvel for the screen and for um, streaming. So this really does make Greg Disney the the king of the superhero film. Not only do they continue this relationship with uh, with Sony for Spider Man, but the Disney Fox deal also brings them back X Men and Fantastic Four as well. That's true. Yep. So they'll have those back. We'll see what they can do with them. Um, the Fantastic Four property has some inherent challenges. It's a bit old-fashioned, um, but if anyone can do it, it would probably be Marvel Studios. At the same time, I wouldn't count out Time Warner or Warner Media, whatever it's called right now, um, with they still have DC Entertainment. And though DC yeah. Entertainment has had a lot of misfires, it's also had some success. And the buzz that Joker's getting, for instance, right now, suggests that maybe um, there's room for two kings of superhero comic films. David, I think that's the next big question, is how will the DC side kind of react to it? And as Greg mentioned, the Joker film, which is coming out, is is getting a lot of critical review already. DC is slowly getting into their groove, and the biggest mistake that Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment made was they said, we want to copy exactly what Marvel did, and they tried to rush to it. Marvel spent a lot of time over a lot of years uh, creating individual franchises and then grouping them together. DC kind of just made Batman vs. Superman and said, okay, hey, and the next film is going to be Justice League, and it didn't quite work out. It was too rushed. You know, when Zack Snyder was handed Man of Steel uh, back in 2013, I don't think he was told, you're going to be building towards Justice League. I think that was kind of thrown on him later. What you're seeing from DC now is their last few solo superhero efforts have been very good. Wonder Woman by itself was a great movie. Aquaman made a billion dollars at the box office. Shazam was a lot of fun and a great movie for people of all ages. So I think, and now you've got the Joker. So what I think DC is realizing is, hey, Marvel's kind of got that whole connected universe and let's form a superhero team every four years, like the Olympics kind of thing. But with DC, at least for the time being, I think they realize their success is just telling individual stories. You know, I think the trailer for Birds of Prey, which is going to be Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn kind of sequel, uh, is coming out today. And I think you're just going to see DC take that approach. We've got great characters that people care about, but there doesn't have to be this rush to make a Justice League film every three years. Let's just concentrate on telling individual stories. But David, I think if you talked with a a lot of fans in this segment, I I would believe they would say that when you compare the two sides, it almost feels like DC is in a little bit of hibernation right now as, as, uh, as Marvel is continuing to move on. Well, that's kind of self-inflicted. You know, the plan was for there to be two Justice League movies, for it to be a two-parter, and for Zack Snyder to be involved in all of that. And they had to jump in and say, hey, we have to hit start fresh and hit the reset button. So what you're going through with DC right now is kind of a, a soft rebuild of their cinematic superhero brand and saying, hey, no more super teams, just individualized movies that don't have to connect to each other. And uh, I, I think what you'll see from DC is they'll keep making these solo superhero films that aren't you know, connected, per se, by the story. And then if there's enough fan demand later in the future, maybe say, okay, let's try Just League one more time. Greg, we touched on Kevin Feige for a second. And if we can, let's, let's talk about him more because obviously he's had a quite a, the level of success uh, with this film franchise. You mentioned about him now also being linked in with uh, at least one of the star Wars films coming up, but what elements do you see from him specifically that are making these films so successful with the fans in the box office? 
Well, it's a good question as to how much one man is, can be responsible for all of this. But he does seem to have a kind of intuitive understanding of how these films need to work to both speak to fans and to speak to general audiences, which is not something that the various people at um, DC Entertainment have, have really been able to figure out. That said, it's also the case that Marvel Studios has been given a lot of autonomy by Disney. It essentially makes its own decisions, where that is not the case at DC Entertainment, and that's really not how Warner Brothers is organized in general, which has a lot of the... It's very siloed. The different business organizations don't work together very well, in my experience. And so it's not surprising, David's point, that... DC hasn't, Warner Brothers hasn't been able to execute on making a shared universe since the organization, uh, the who controls these characters is is kind of uh, spread out or disseminated throughout. Whereas Kevin Feige has just this single organization within Disney that he controls and makes the decisions for. It's interesting though watching what's happening with um, Disney Plus, the streaming service, because what. Marvel Studios and Kevin Feige are now being given responsibility for is the television side as well. And there is Marvel Television. So Marvel Television, which has had some mixed success, is continually kind of being sidelined as Kevin Feige's magic is ideally being brought into the television side as well. So we still have some of those maybe divisions over at Disney, but Kevin Feige's real gift in some ways has been that Disney has let him run the show. David, your thoughts? Kevin has uh, been, you know, I think there's a lot of question as to, you know, how lo- how long this can keep going. But if there's one thing that Marvel Studios does well, Kevin Feige is really on the pulse. He isn't just a big Hollywood studio head. He's a fan, and he really cares about these characters. And you feel that in the type of storytelling decisions that they make with all these movies. You know, the Infin- Infinity Gauntlet saga, which, you know, took place in Endgame is one of the biggest Marvel comic stories of the 80s that people Kevin's age and my age grew up reading. So he's like, Kevin has figured out a way to make it interesting enough for the general public, but also tug on the emotions of those of us who really care about these characters and these stories and and give us the things we need, but in in ways that we didn't think we'd see them. And it's so far worked out great over the last decade. You know, it's funny when you mentioned uh, the fact that that DC is going to be focusing on individual characters and individual movies. It's funny that that to a degree that's the reverse uh, that we may be now seeing, uh, at least with one of the characters in the Marvel Universe and the fact that Black Widow obviously was involved in a lot of these films and now is going to have her own single film coming up. Yeah, the, the Black the Black Widow film is very interesting because, and I hate to be a spoiler if you haven't seen Endgame by now, but forgive me, but you know she dies in, in Endgame. So the Black Widow movie is going to be a prequel that takes place sometime in the 80s, more than likely the 90s, uh, when Scarlett Johansson's character is Natasha is, uh, you know, basically a young Russian spy and you know, slightly pre her Avengers days. Um, it's got some really cool characters that, you know, like Red Guardian, who's kind of like the Russian version of Captain America that a lot of people aren't necessarily familiar with in the general public, but can make for great. Uh, storytelling. But again, it's the perfect example of the Marvel Studios touch. You know, when 
Black Widow died in the movie, everyone first said, oh, my God, well, what about the movie? And then you realize it's going to be a prequel, yeah. but it still works within this built narrative that they can continue telling great stories even when they, you know, knock off characters. That, that was going to be my next question is that is there potentially enough there to be able to do kind of a prequel series with Black Widow like we've seen well, that, that Star Wars did? It'll be very interesting to see if Black Widow can turn into a franchise, given that it has to take place in the past. Um, but if anybody can do it, uh, Kevin and the crew can. But it is going to continue to be, Greg, this uh, unbelievable run of all these films. When you think about you've got a Spider-Man film coming out in 2021. There's a Black Panther film that's going to be coming out in 2022. You've got films almost every year set out for what? About the next eight to ten years uh, in this in this series. It's true, and I mean, I think the risk is that the way they've, at least in the past, interlocked them, if one fails, it could have a spillover effect on the others. And some of these are also, I mean, they're, they're pretty obscure. The Eternals, there's a Shang-Chi film coming out, and these are characters that even comic fans might not know or care very much about. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Marvel can do something with them. It's also interesting that they've put themselves in this position because what they've done in the past, Marvel Studios has given the less, um, the properties with less potential to Marvel Television, such as right. Inhumans. So they've deprived themselves of what might have been sort of like the third tier and now need to move to the fourth tier characters. But it, it also means that Disney has had to do a little bit of juggling as well when you factor all of these this Marvel Cinematic Universe films and Star Wars as well. They've got two huge franchises that they've had to, I guess, kind of uh, you know really work on the schedule to, to lay them out so that one doesn't interfere with the other as well, Greg. Yeah, that's definitely the case. Fans are uh, interested in both of them. And to David's point about Black Widow, I mean, it's exciting, interesting. On the other hand, the evidence from what's happened with Star Wars, where we have these sort of spin-offs or prequels like the Solo movie, is that uh, they we might be risking some kind of exhaustion. They, these might not fire as well as uh, kind of a shared universe films where the, that are all interconnected. Great having you both with us. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time. All the best. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. David Betancourt from The Washington Post, Greg Steyer at uh, Dickinson College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.